This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. Huggies Little Movers is their best-fitting diaper ever with its curved and stretchy fit. Babies, no matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers are curved with up to 12-hour protection against leaks. Get your baby butt in Huggies best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Well, we're going to hear the Matt Damon, Christian Bale, and James Mangold episode here from the Peterson Museum uh, on such a fine movie. So we got that coming. First, Tommy John. Tommy John is getting extra ballsy this holiday season with an unbelievable offer exclusively for my listeners, 25% off site-wide. Shop their biggest sale. Do it now. Experience the amazing fit and feel of their products like the breathable, wedgie-proof underwear, ridiculously soft loungewear, guaranteed to fit perfectly. Ladies, first off, you can kiss those panty lines goodbye with the Tommy John underpants, and then uh, you can also upgrade the most comfortable bra on the planet. Guys got the horizontal quick-draw fly, so no more fly fishing down there. They're just the best. Uh, They're all I wear. I literally, since I got Tommy John, never worn another brand of underpants ever again. Plus, they got the no wedgie guarantee. If you don't love your first pair, they'll uh, give you your money back, but you're going to love them because they are the best. They're Tommy John, right, Chris? Give the gift of comfort this holiday season with limited edition gifts like loungewear and underwear from Tommy John. Plus, save 25% off site-wide when you go to TommyJohn.com and use the code CARCAST. That's code CARCAST at TommyJohn.com. Get it on. Got to get on. No choice. Make it on mandate. Get it on. Boy, we're loaded for bear. I mean, uh, Christian Bale, Matt Damon, James Mangle. Come on, people. Uh, we'll get to them in 10 seconds. Eh, maybe 55 seconds. First, let me hit uh, betonline.ag. NFL Thanksgiving weekend and uh, college football rivalry games. A lot going on. Visit betonline.ag. Take advantage of the best bonuses in the business use the promo code podcast one for a 50 percent sign-up bonus matchups i mean we got week 13 buffalo and dallas saints at atlanta thanksgiving day we got the patriots and houston and san fran at baltimore man there's a good game minnesota at seattle there's a good game lots of good games coming up we got uh, 500 bucks in rewards to give out each week to five listeners and a $5,000 season-long charity contest. So join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag SportsNetChallenge, and let's have some fun this weekend, and let's pick a few winners. Use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so here we are, uh, Christian Bale, Matt Damon. Good to see you guys. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari, loved the movie. Thank you. Loved it. And uh, Christian, pull the uh, mic, sorry, up uh, close to the uh, soup cooler there. Um, I'd worked on a documentary, uh, The 24-Hour War, which was same topic, and uh, also did a Shelby documentary. So I came in loaded with information and sort of worried 
that I was going to be bumped, and I wasn't. I Fantastic. Loved it. So, Great. and uh, everyone I saw it with uh, loved it as well. So, uh, congratulations, number one, on knocking it out of the ballpark. And um, how much into cars or the sport or the hobby were you guys into before you started the film? Matt, you can start. I wasn't, uh, which I think was a um, an asset because uh, I th- along with the director, we talked about that. He he didn't ever fetishize the cars because he wasn't a car guy, you know. And so it's you're always going just for story, just for story. And this is a really wonderful story that I think transcends uh, cars. And so people who who aren't car people, I think, will really enjoy it. Yeah, I totally agree. It was all. Lot of heart and and it and like I mean like any movie like Rocky wasn't really a boxing movie it right. was a movie about heart and overcoming adversity and all the things and boxing becomes pardon the pun the vehicle to just ex- express all that um, so Christian how about you um, I think more than some but nothing like you like I what I loved it was a very bonding experience in between my um, dad and myself we would watch Formula One when I was growing up mm-hmm. one time got to go to Brands Hatch absolutely mind blowing loved it it was uh, era of Alan Prost and Senna and Nicky Lauda um, saw Senna tragically you know die on the TV um, so had that passed and was aware of Le Mans um, as well so I knew Shelby I knew Le Mans but I didn't know Ken Miles and I didn't know this story about 66 Ken Miles, after doing the documentary, I just said, the story is Ken Miles. Like, that's the crazy story. I mean, everyone knew Carol Shelby. He's a household name. Nobody knew Ken Miles, Mm -hmm. and nobody knew the tragedy of that story. And, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it. but Well, we could have done a whole movie on the ending. Yeah, on on just what happened to Ken Miles and how that works and how people – memories and they move on and you don't even know this character even amongst car enthusiasts i would have to bring up the name ken miles and they didn't know about it and i i thought you did such an amazing job playing him because he's an interesting quirky different kind of guy i think it was a real saving grace you know the guy was a very strong character he just would not compromise at all um this he he was a real purist a real purist racer he considered himself first and foremost uh, a, a mechanic um, but was a phenomenal racer, um, and um, and that 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 search for this kind of perfect lap and this purity of experience was like his saving grace, but his absolute Achilles heel as well. He just was constantly shooting himself in the foot, um, uh, winning battles, losing the war um, completely, and now getting long in the tooth and not really having any opportunity until Shelby recognizes in his friend if he would just shut up for once and let Shelby just give him some kind of strategy, then he can put him there. And the, the fact that these guys bloody did it, you know, and they took on God in the form of Enzo Ferrari, and they bloody won. It's phenomenal. You know, it's, it's funny. Someone was interviewing me, and they were talking about how mighty Ford was and how small Ferrari was. But I said, you know, Mike Tyson was the smallest heavyweight in his era, and he just knocked everyone's ass out. So Ferrari was Mike Tyson. Like, sure, they were a little boutique company, not that well-funded, but they Mm -hmm. won all the time. So in a way, they were the giant up against Ford, who was physically the giant, but didn't have those wins. It's an incredible story. I know you got to meet uh, Peter Miles, uh, the son of Ken Miles, which is – much of the 
much of the the story revolves around Ken and, and Peter and, and Peter this he must be over the moon about this. I hope so. I do hope so. I watched the film with Peter and with um, Peter's daughter, and uh, it was obviously really bloody moving. Having seen the film, you'll understand why um, for that. And he was so helpful uh, to me in telling me stories about his dad giving me you know personal artifacts and photographs and all of that. He was he was really generous, and I would be you know texting him photographs from the set um, throughout. You know, yeah, it was wonderful to have him around. Matt, um, how much did you know about Shelby? Because, you know, it's, it's always funny whenever they go, Matt Damon's going to play Carol Shelby. I go, I know Matt Damon. He can't play Carol. Then you see him, and he's Carol Shelby, like you became Carol Shelby. Yeah, I didn't know a lot. I mean, I knew, I obviously knew. He's kind of an iconic guy, but, uh, but I didn't know a lot about him, and I didn't know a lot about him in relation to this story and this relationship that he had with Miles, which I thought was really, you know, it was really the 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 kind of the basis of what I was doing in the movie. I mean, it was interesting to watch go, go back and look at stuff on Shelby when he would talk about miles and he'd, he'd get choked up and that <clears throat> this experience of Le Mans 66, what these guys went through. I mean, it, it really, I think stayed with him for the rest of his life. And he would, and he would say, you know, you know, Ken miles, a hell of an engineer, you know, he'd, and he'd get choked up, you know, and you go like, man, like, God, this is, he's carrying this, you know, when they brought the three cars in together, a they didn't know. I they, I don't think they knew that that meant Miles wouldn't win. I mean, he thought right. he's still going to get the triple crown. But sure. b, you know, even given that he he had all this stuff on, he had to he had to he had to he had to toe the line. Shelby had to toe the line. He had, as Charlie Agape you said to us, he had you know they had put they had put you know tens of millions of dollars into this sure. program. And what they thought and what he knew was, I'm going to come back here next year and Ken's going to win next year. Because yeah. we're going to win this thing again and again and again. Our car, Charlie, I, we, we asked Charlie, when you went over there, you'd already, they'd already won Sebring. They'd already won Daytona that year. Charlie Acapo? Yeah, yeah. Charlie gave you an yeah. and when, when, <clears throat> when he By the way, when Spike interviews you guys, he's not doing a deep dive on Charlie Acapo. <laughs> I know Charlie Acapo. I know. I've interviewed He was around a lot, and he's, a, and he's wonderful. Well, and he, it, it, the, the thing that's crazy is these guys were doing this at 19, 20, 21. Yeah. So you meet the guy that was Ken Miles' right-hand man, and he's a 63-year-old guy. Like, yeah, you're like, right. he's not old. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy, and he has vivid memories. Vivid and he memories. he got choked up, of course, talking about Ken when I was interviewing him. And we, I, I said, hey, Charlie, how sure were you when you guys went over there in 66? You know, they were dominating with that car. I said, did you think you, how sure were you you were going to win? And he was like, 100%. I said, really? He said, 100%. If we didn't break down, we were going to win. He goes, we were, that car was just such a thug, and, and they knew it. And, and so I think the, you know, to slow Ken down, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it, it, it. They all have their own perspective. They all have their own, you know, uh, ideas about why that happened. And it just was like Ford could not. They had put too much money into it to have the story be anything but the Ford right. car. It could. I, th- I, th- I think also that with Shelby, he he did ask Miles many times to do something strategic in a different race. Right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Miles. Always bloody ignored him. Even sometimes he would laugh and be flipping him the bird to Shelby. Right. And I think Shelby kind of loved that, you know? Right. I think he knew, hey, look, I've got to do my duty. I have to ask. 
but there's no way Ken's going to do it. And then Ken bloody did it. Why? I think because Ken recognised how much Shelby had put on the line for him and wanted to give gratitude and did think he's still going to win the Triple Crown and did these bloody mind-blowing laps beforehand, only to then find he got screwed over. Yeah, people don't know you win Daytona, you win Sebring, you win Le Mans, you win the Triple Crown, sort of like horse racing, and no one had done it in a season up until then. Mm. Ken was uh, obviously in a position to do that. Mm. I don't want to give away too much of the story, but... You know, if you think about, Matt, when you were saying, you know, they thought they were just going to come back every year and win every year. And, and, and they did. And rightfully so. And they did. You also think about Bruce McLaren, who did get the win, and he probably thought he was coming back. And then he died a couple years later testing, I think, a Can-Am car. So McLaren, the guy who surged ahead and got the win and blah, 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 he didn't have such a happy ending either mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of his life. The thing that's really poetic and interesting is here we are 50 years later and McLaren, I, I saw a McLaren car in the parking lot. Yeah. I, I see Shelby cars in the parking lot. Now 10 miles is going to be um, highlighted in this major film. Like it is, I don't know, it gives you hope. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that McLaren and Shelby and now Miles, 50 years on, and here we are talking about them. Yeah. God, yeah. I, I don't think they could have ever imagined that, right? No, I, I do um, hope that uh, Miles becomes more of a common name, you know, because, uh, you know, it, it, it was tragic, and he was so bloody talented. And uh, like you said, within racing circles, um, I actually thought he was better known within racing circles than he is. That actually, many people don't even know him within those circles. And he really deserves, and, and coming from uh, Britain as well, right? That, that to be embraced as a bloody national hero for what he did, and a lot most of people have no idea. A lot of ancillary people like Phil Remington. Oh yeah, he was so essential. You know, he, there was a triangle. It was really the three of them, and that was something that Peter said to me. He said, "Please make sure that you give Phil his credit because they could not have done it uh, without him." I uh, interviewed Dan Gurney just before he passed and I went down to his place where he's building stuff for SpaceX and everything else. Gurney's and another mm. amazing story in the film, small role. Mm. Oh, his son. Yeah. Alex, played, Alex, played, yeah, yeah, Alex played Gurney. Yeah. yeah. And he showed me Phil Remington's workbench who had just passed. I mean, he yeah. made it late. He said, that's where Rem, that's where he worked for me. He still, right. we haven't touched his workspace. Uh, like yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. God, it's There's all, so much to this story. I, I mean, you could do. There is actually a, uh, I think, legendary or somebody has the rights to uh, one of the books that kind of covers documents this time, and I think they were still talking about doing a whole extended series on it, and they could yeah. totally still do it. I mean, yeah, go like hell. Yeah, go yeah. like hell. I yeah, mean, because be you fantastic. because there's there's so many stories. I mean, the, the the one drawback to doing a two two and a half hour movie is like you got to choose. You got it, and there's so it's so full of different, you know, the great colorful characters and and really interesting people. I mean, you could really do like an extended it's, run of, of, of this. Of you know, this era. it's 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 an onion, and you just yeah. there's something. I I did a movie called uh, Winning the Racing Life <laughs> of Paul Newman, and in the middle of that movie, we discovered a guy named Willie T. Ribs, first African American driver at. Uh, Indianapolis, and then did our mm. next one about him. Like as you're making a doc yeah. about this one thing, you discover all these other stories, and they're all worth telling. It's yeah. just it, who's 
you got to pick and choose because who's got the time to do it all? Are you guys, is there Oscar talk here? I mean, the movie was, I, so I'll tell you, I saw the movie. Obviously, I knew everything going into the movie. And then I really loved the movie. But then I thought, maybe I love it like everyone thinks their kids are cute. Some of them are pigs, let's be honest. <laughs> they all look like Winston Churchill. Yeah. But maybe this is just a father thinking his thinking his daughter should win the Miss Florida competition. Uh, look, we, uh, we, we we just we just do our thing and then and then yeah, it's up to other people to decide. So but I, I was ha- so I got back and I was like, I don't know. I love this movie, but I don't know if I'm just preloaded to love it. And I looked on Rotten Tomatoes. It's eighty-eight uh, percent. Last time I checked. Oh, I didn't and, even know they had anything up yet. Oh, 60, 60 folks have weighed in. And I got to tell you, in this woke area we're living in now, this uh, you know all white, all male, all straight cast getting to eighty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Not too shabby. And they, they don't like car movies either. Cause right, because they're gas guzzling. Yeah, you're just wasting a bunch of vulcanized <laughs> That was actually rubber. a question we got we, a lot in France when we, we were in France. We kept, we kept being asked, is it appropriate in this era right. with Greta Thunberg and the climate change and everything like that that we made a film about cars that run on gas? Right. <laughs> and Kristen said, "Should we go? Should we go back and make them electric? Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you guys that do cool feel... running three? <laughs> they were just propelled by gravity." Um, yeah. So I thought to myself, uh, a really high score in a woke period where we don't like gas and petrol fuel, fuel being burned and all that kind of stuff. That's that says a lot. So there, mm. and and again, critics don't traditionally like car movies as much as, you know, uh, other human stories. So there's got to be some discussion or some thought. I don't know if you guys are allowed to talk about well, it. No, or we, don't, we don't discuss. We're not involved in any discussions about that. But someone's going to put you for. Well, someone does it, but it, no, nobody talks with us about it. No, it just happens. Do they talk with they, you about they, it? They, no. It's, they, it's not just me they ignore. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but I never thought of this movie that way. Like, I, you know, you know, there's kind of an award season, which is, you know, the, the, towards the end of the year. And this movie was supposed to come out in June. Right. And they just held on to it. And so I, I always just – I just read it. I thought it was such a crowd-pleasing, like such a fun story um, and such an interesting story and one that I didn't know and one that was really relatable. And and that was kind of as far as I got with it. And so I'm glad it's being well-received. That's great. Like, But to me, the big win would be if people just see it, go see it. Like that's – at this stage in in my career, like that's really what I want more than anything. I don't really, I want people to go and I want people to like it. Yeah, I I'm, feel the same way. At a, at a certain point, you have enough money and enough stuff, and you just want your work, and you realize, like we're talking about Ken Miles. Uh, one day we're going to talk, and Carol Shelby, we're going to talk about the actors who played Ken Miles and <laughs> Carol Shelby, and we'll all be roasting in hell. So <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, I'll keep a seat open at the table for Fantastic. you guys. I think I'm going to get there first. But ultimately, it's about the work. It's about the body of work, and it's about people walking out of there going, these guys did a great job. And if they kick it back, for award season, which they did, which means they're thinking that way. That's just so much gravy. On, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a that's a great problem to have. <laughs> yeah, know? well, I, they're telling me to bring it home, but um, so I'll just keep it another twenty three minutes. Uh, I I got to tell you, I I love this film. I thought you guys both knocked it out of the ballpark. Um, I thought 
the, 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 it's such, it's so James did a great job of shooting. It. Yeah, it's not yeah. just a car show. It, it really is poetic. I mean, the mm-hmm. shots, all the shots uh, were just, you could tell in a, in a way it's better to have a, a person like James direct a, a non car guy. Like sometimes you get the fast and furious guys to do the things you miss the artistry right. part. Right. So in a, in a way it was even, even better. Uh, I thought it was amazing, and so uh, kudos to both of you. Thanks. And uh, if you want to see Peter Miles and you want to see that 935 at uh, Laguna Seca, I'll be there too. When is that going to be? Uh, it's the middle of August. Oh, Every yeah. single year they have right. the Rolex Historics over there, and all those guys come out, and uh, we all race our cars. Oh, great. That's awesome. So uh, one more plug. In theaters Friday, November 15th, Ford v. Ferrari, and uh, what – what a story. Great job, guys. Right. Cheers, man. Thanks, Adam. Castrol Edge, stronger under pressure. Engines can uh, lose up to 10% of performance due to friction. Castrol Edge with fluid titanium transforms under pressure. Three times. Three right. times, fool. Stronger against uh, breakdown than leading full synthetic oils. It is the best. It is Castrol Edge formulated in ways to exceed the industry standards. It is Castrol Edge. James Mangold, uh, Ford v. Ferrari director in theaters Friday, November 15th. Saw it. Loved it. Uh, done so many movies. Logan and 310 to Yuma, which I enjoyed uh, so much. Wolverine. Girl Interrupted. I forgot that that was you. Uh, so good on you. Good to see you again, James. Good to see you again, Adam. I uh, love the film. Um, I had done a documentary on the film or the theme of the film, and I'd also just finished one on Carol Shelby. So going in, I was worried that I knew too much. I, I knowing you were seeing it, I was worried that you knew too much. <laughs> the good news is, is I really don't know anything, <laughs> so I enjoyed the hell out of this thing. And I well, thought you end, did a you're wonderful job. To get, you know what you're trying to get? You, you try and get the details right, of course. But what you're also trying to capture in a dramatic movie that you can't do as much in a documentary is you're trying to recreate a feeling or a vibe or a tone. You're trying to understand something about the personality of these guys that they might hide from a, from a documentary camera or something they may not show when they're doing an interview like this. You know, you're, you're trying to get in a way behind the mask. Um, what are they dealing with? You know, what are they haunted by? What are they chasing? And there's so many interesting aspects to these characters. Obviously, the cars are interesting. But, you know, you think about just Carroll Shelby. He's top-notch racer in 1959, winning Le Mans in an Aston Martin, and suddenly finds out he's got a heart condition and can never race again, cannot get behind the wheel again. Right. What does that do? I mean, you can only imagine if you were suddenly told that all that joy and adrenaline and excitement and obsession you have about something is suddenly redirected and you can't do it anymore ever on a certain day and that he had to reimagine his life on a day's notice and turned all that passion into building and designing and managing races and that's so interesting then you take a cat like ken miles who spent his prime years fighting World War II as a tank engineer, comes to this country, still wants to be a driver, is also interesting. You know, I'm not a big motorsports guy in that I learned it all watching and making this movie and watching all the research. But Ken Miles um, is also an example of a day and age when 
when the drivers could also fix their own cars. You know, that, that these were people who understood, who built the car were the people who drove the car. Yeah, you had to sort of wear a couple of hats back then. And a lot of those Shelby guys, there's a guy named John Morton who was a Shelby driver, and then he moved on with Pete Brock. Pete Brock built the Daytona, famously, that won the Manufacturer's Championship. It's seen in the movie as well. But these guys drove and built right their their own cars and there's a romance to that i i mean i don't want to say it's better or worse i think that as we all get more specialized there is something that we're robbed of which is that kind of renaissance man or woman of racing or of anything that that people who build something who start from zero and deliver it to the final destination there's something romantic about that that is modern life has gone on we get robbed of we don't we don't get to understand that kind of pride and it's yeah so when you talk to modern day race car drivers as a gearhead and they're telling me they're driving an F1 car and I go what's the displacement on the motor and they go uh, I don't know I don't know I right. my feeling is like I, I get it they're good at what they do but if there was a barbecue joint and it was run by a vegan <laughs> I wouldn't go in. I, I want a guy who, you know, who knows lives pork. the life. Yes, Those, he eats it. He, eats, yes, he gets high it. on his own supply. Yes, yes. You want that. And and also the cars back then, because I've talked to a lot of these guys who race Le Mans uh, then and now. And then it was a lot of about endurance, reliability. Famously in the movie, I won't give it away, but uh, Phil Remington, the designer, uh, engineer, sort of extraordinaire, comes up with a way to make the brakes last longer and blah, blah, blah. They had to drive. I've interviewed Dan Gurney on this. They had to make those cars last. Now they drive the car at 10 tenths for the whole race because everything's synthetic and the cars are so durable and the computers work and everything and doing everything that they don't have to simultaneously race the car and sort of maintain the car. No, it's, it is so different now. I mean, what makes Le Mans so interesting yeah, um, and was for me as I did the research on the movie was that it is not a, a, a car, uh, is not a race that is all just as it was first created as a race. It wasn't only about winning. It was about surviving. It was a, it was, it, it's a race as old as you well know as the automobile itself and was a way of, putting cars on a road and seeing who had built a vehicle that could just stand that kind of usage, that kind of test. A lot of what crosses the finish line at Le Mans is not about people who have fallen into 10th or 20th position, but usually about people who just fall away in the past. I yeah. don't think that's as true anymore. But No, the, and there was a strategy. I mean, you'd send one guy out to be the rabbit, Right. Hopefully, the other guy would chase him and break. Right. In, in, well, we show that, some of that, that in the picture, yeah. but the, that that is the point. And then you have these cars. Because it's a dawning moment in car design, the cars themselves have more personality because they're a little more lopsided. You know, they're now we've gotten to this kind of tipping point where they can, through computer design and just experience, the cars are all pretty good all around. There was a time when you might have a car that was nimble, but but it wasn't it was it didn't have the torque that another car had. You might have a, like the GT40 had all this power, but what they were they, they knew 
from the moment they had kind of put that engine in the GT40, at least as I understand it, they kind of knew they were faster than anyone else. They just didn't know if they could stop or turn. So the right. the reality is each car has such a unique personality, and and you get to see these 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 racers and 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 Shelby in the pits, and they're all and you know Remington, they're all dealing with the unique personality of the monster they've created. Hmm. Uh, Ferrari too, in the right. sense that the Ferrari has its advantages and disadvantages. The uh, I noticed a lot of filming at uh, Willow Springs, which is a track I'm very familiar with. And I was thinking as it I was watching. It's hot there. Oh, cool. I mean, when we, the scenes are shooting, the guys, I, I don't know how they don't sweat. I, I never know this about movie stars, just what, what, what they do to make the sweat never occur. But we're shooting at 120 degrees. And, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I have obviously looked like a overheated lobster, um, <laughs> right? Hulk clinging to a slice of watermelon. But the, but the the shoot itself, you're you don't feel that. You feel the joy of that. Well, it is that that it. it I was transported back. It made me want to race and drive. The, driving out for the weekend with a bunch of gearheads and tooling around one of these beautiful tracks. Um, it's beautiful. Willow Springs. As I was watching the movie, and I've done a professional Trans Am race and vintage races and stuff there, it struck me that you didn't have to touch a thing. We very little. Because that place hasn't changed since 1957. And it's thrilling because the the real characters were making the movie about race there, and they haven't touched a thing. It is, is, and what I love about it is it hasn't been turned into some Ed DeBevick, Shanana kind of like, right, like, nostalgic thing right it's just is what it was it's not it's not been turned into some kind of touristy thing there's no Marilyn monroe mannequin that greets yeah, you in the no. gift shop or anything yeah, yeah. It's, and it's it's just the place like it's been always i know i was uh thrilled uh watching it and uh we we're talking to christian about uh the, the car nerds are always like, this bumped me and that bumped me. The only thing They're in the, very sensitive, the, car <laughs> the only thing in the entire film that bumped me is there was a couple of shots where you were going the wrong way on the on track. Willow Springs. Yes. Yes. W- was that in the later sequence when they're testing the car? Cause that's, we did intentionally. We, I was like, they're going the wrong direction, but I was like, you're the only person in this theater that knows. And right. I'm sure I don't they think we shot the races going the wrong no. direction. No, there's a later sequence where they're testing, they're testing the GT4. When they end up tying the yarn to it, that we did shoot, I think we shot it going the wrong way in a couple places. Yeah. The uh, trying to freshen up the shots a little. But, but <laughs> no, also, I, I figure when you were testing on the track, you can drive any which way drive you any want. way you want. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing film, and it's. Uh, I was worried that I was going to love it, but that the America wasn't going to love it because they don't like cars That's, or that. Like that is whatever. a central worry of mine too. I'm glad you well, do. But the, the, the story, the story of Ken and his son and, and what happened to Ken and the sort of tragedy of Ken miles after I made my doc when, when I, I thought I was just making a doc about sort of Ferrari versus Ford, like the film. And I realized, Oh, Ken, Ken miles, this is the human story in this, in this whole big, the big, um, macroness of the whole thing the micros really ken his son his wife and his tragedy well also he was such a wonderful character everyone remembers him with such clarity and um and the way his friendship intersected the way he him and shelby's friendship was so mutually beneficial how they each needed each other in a way um ken to be carol's 
kind of driver, his almost a projection of himself behind the wheel, and that Ken would never get a chance to drive if it wasn't for Carol because Ken was a handful, you know, and that that to me was so interesting. And then a lot of the relationships were interesting. I found Henry Ford II really interesting. I mean, the idea of being a legacy running this company mm-hmm. that makes kind of slightly boring cars, affordable cars for the working man. And then you have a guy like Enzo who's much more of a maverick. He's no legacy. He created this company who makes unaffordable cars for almost no man. Right. And, and, and each man has something in the, on the corporate case that on the corporate side, they, each man has something the other wants. Ford wants to be cool. Ferrari wants to be solvent. Right. right? You know, and that the, um, and it's in so many ways, the characters, it, it extrapolates out of racing and becomes about all the decisions we make in life and the choices we can make about the type of type of person we want to be, the way we pursue our goals that either bankrupt us or enrich us, but we go, how did I get on this track making, doing this boring shit? And, uh, and that it's like the, all the, and the efforts to kind of change your track, even Ford. I, I'm very moved by Henry Ford. He's trying to change it up. You know, he's trying to, and, and one great scene where, you know, Matt's character, Shelby takes, uh, Henry Ford the second out for a drive. I always find it very moving because you suddenly realize this imperious kind of, uh, intimidating executive is also really living in a bubble and is kind of sad and never gets to taste on the ground level what it is they do. <clears throat> that actor as a Tracy Letts. Yeah. 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 He was fantastic. He's by the he's way, a, uh, Pulitzer prize winning playwright as well, but he's a really? great actor. Yeah. He's, uh, and, uh, the guy who played Remington, uh, Ray McKinnon. I thought that I guy him. was awesome as yeah. well. And it's, uh, he was in Deadwood. He created a great series for years, and he's um, he's a great. He also is a great writer. It's a really interesting group of people we gathered together, and the the way it was shot was just magnificent. Thank I mean, you. it looked so good. Well, it's like, great DP, Fed and Papa Michael, and and we've worked together in five movies, and um, we you know, and I've done a lot of commercials in my life, and I didn't want the movie to look like a car commercial, but I did want it to be beautiful. Like a there's a I wanted you to feel it as real like sometimes when you're shooting car commercials everything gets so creamy and beautiful that every car looks obviously no one wants to see their car dirty right here part of the sexiness is the dirt um is the dust is the the sense um that they're being used in one of the interesting factoids i know from my other life making other kinds of movies and also doing this is you know a lot of the characters i met especially the Willow Springs Southern California racing characters, they all knew George Lucas because mm-hmm. he was a hot rodder and he would hang right. out. Um, he would sleep on a lot of their couches and was at Willow Springs and all these places. And, and for those Star Wars fans, part of the reason that all those spaceships, even in the very first Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon, the X-Wings, look so soiled is right. because of George Lucas's experiences in drag racing and in racing and that that all that exhaust staining and all that stuff was was his influence of trying to kind of carry something. It's like, why is everything perfectly clean in outer space? Right. It certainly isn't on a track. Yeah, American Graffiti's Lucas, uh, you're right? a great movie. And yeah, right. and, and Harrison Ford plays a drag racer with a... I'm tra- Bel Air, Jack, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 55? Yeah. I think he's driving a Bel Air. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. A great soundtrack. Too. It is. It's an impo- impossible to afford soundtrack now. So uh, they're telling me to bring it home. Um, 
So I'll heap some praise. I knew the story well. I loved it. And I was confirmed when I went to Rotten Tomatoes and saw it at 88%, which, again, is an amazing score. Because critics don't like car movies and ones where you burn a lot of fossil fuels and (laughs) vulcanized rubber. They might deduct a couple of points for that. Um, What's next? I can't can't tell you for sure what's next. I'm working on a couple of things. Nothing like this, um, but something, something interesting. I mean, I am always trying to move maybe something with music, maybe something with guns. I don't know. Maybe something, maybe something in the woods. That's the most I'd say right now. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis? (laughs) (laughs) No, but good guess. But now it's guns and music. Um, So congratulations. Thank you, Adam. It was just a great great film and uh in a way as i told uh man christian i think finding a non-car guy to make this film to really tell the story and to really make it look as well as it looked and and by the way for those who are who watched uh once upon a time in hollywood and sort of dug all the 70s 60s 70s we got that going on vibe uh you got that going in spades i mean it is it, it is a real throwback a time capsule yeah what's a great such a great time in this country when when people were making things um and risking themselves making things you couldn't you couldn't figure it out on a computer first you had to put your body in the chassis and see whether it held together as it made the turn you know um, imagine living in california and in venice beach a guy like carol shelby just showing up and opening up a shop no, like it's I'm going to hire a bunch of young guys going to import those cars would be impounded. They'd be at the docks. They'd be gray market vehicles. Yeah. The EPA would be there going, what no, are you doing? Impossible. But you think about this. I didn't even put a label on the scenes. But when when Shelby American got the deal with Ford to develop the car, they were doing it at LAX. And well, you well know sure. this, but but most people don't know this. And that the. You know, because where are you going to drive these cars every day at that kind of speed? Where are you going to find that kind of blacktop? And the airports at that point were closed during most of the night. So they built a garage off of LAX in a hangar. And all that racing you see is, is you know, where we land now when we're coming in from New York or L.A. or Hong Kong or wherever. That was the proving ground for the GT40 with those runways. Simpler times. James, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming in and uh, sharing some time with us. Ford v. Ferrari Theaters, Friday, November 15th. I saw it, and I shall bring my son and see it's it again. It's a good move. You can bring also, uh, you can bring non-racing people. I think oh, that's absolutely. It's a, uh, absolutely. That's, yes. Anyway, thank you so Thanks, much. James. Pleasure. Everyone's got the to-do list. How about you save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance? Don't have to go anywhere. Go to geico.com few minutes like 15 minutes could be saving 15 percent or more on your auto insurance take that extra money and put it in your pocket man it'll be the best thing you do all day it is geico that is geico.com well you're welcome bunch of a-listers on a little car show so until next time sam crolla for matt the moderator who's not here so screw him saying keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCastShow. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. CarCastShow.com.